Welcome to episode nine of Cyclops is Waiting for Me, an X-Men the Animated Series weekly recap podcast. I'm JC of Whiskey and Waffles. Let's go with that for my intro this week. <laughs> and I'm Rod. You can look me up on Instagram at Rod Kim Rocks. I do what I want there. I don't know. <laughs> this is going off swimmingly. This is great. Yep. Cyclops is Waiting for Me is our weekly podcast series where we're going back and watching every single episode of the original 1992 X-Men the Animated Series in their original intended script order. Also important in this one, building up to the release of X-Men 97 coming to Disney Plus in 2023. Some quick reminders. We are a recap show of a series that came out 30 years ago. Actually, this one is literally like almost 29 years to the day of when we're recording this episode. There will be spoilers. If you don't want to spoil it for you, pause the podcast, watch the episode and come back. We will do our best to avoid mentioning anything about future episodes that we have not covered yet. And just for sake of transparency, we are not sponsored or affiliated with Disney or Disney Plus in any way. They're starting to do rated R stuff soon. So maybe they'll include us. <laughs> Keep going, right? Keep going. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Cyclops IWFM Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And of course, make sure to follow us on all your favorite podcast services. And finally, we record these episodes in batches right now. So if we're reacting to any news about the upcoming series, we may be a few weeks behind. There's kind of news this this week. I don't know if you've heard this yet. And if we shouldn't discuss this, then I can cut it out. But Well, there was the announcement of the Hasbro Plus Storm animated series figure, which went up for sale. Oh, that does look awesome. Sorry, for pre-sale. Yeah. Yep. That does look awesome. And I love the case. That's the VHS yep. case thing. I don't, so that's news. I don't think this is necessarily a spoiler, but I guess skip ahead by 10 seconds or something if you don't want to hear this. The Multiverse of Madness trailer released, and if you, it's a literal blink-and-you-miss-it moment. There's a freeze frame while they're going through multiverses that there's an animated sequence. And there's a lot of like speculation that they may reference the animated series in Doctor Strange. Cool. That's the first time I'm actually hearing of that. So, it, And it's not even though it's, it's less than a blink than you miss it moment because it's like a sliver because, you know, you go through all the portholes and you just see the different things. So and it's literally, I think, like a traffic cone or like a fire hydrant in like a street. So who knows? It could be anything. Well, on the plus <laughs> side, by the time this episode airs and goes live on all the podcast services, we'll probably know if that's true or not. Yeah. But now on to the show. So today we're going to be talking about episode 10 titled Come the Apocalypse. It originally aired on February 27th, 1993 and currently sits at a 1.8 rating on IMDb. And that makes sense. This was a cool episode because we finally get to see a lot more apocalypse action. Yeah. So kicking stuff off, we begin with Dr. Adler, who is talking to Warren Worthington III. And Warren is is there on Muir Island after the events of the previous episode where he he wants to become human. And, you know, his funding, you know, Warren wants the cure. He wants to become an ordinary human and in his description, not be a freak. So he decides, yes, I'm going to be the first one to test this out, which doesn't seem like a great medical process to go through and get strapped to, you know, the the evil doctor table. I would say that it's uncharacteristic of a billionaire, but we literally just had what three or four of them go up in like penis ships to the space. Yeah. So Yep. <laughs> yep. I don't, know. I don't know how to transition away from that, so I'm just going <laughs> to gloss over that phrase. As Warren is strapped to the table, Mystique reveals herself to Warren before the change, which I feel like you wouldn't do. 
There's a heavy trope that probably started earlier, but really noticeable in this episode, where there's a lot of villain monologuing at critical moments for people you're just going to kill in a few minutes anyway. Or at the very <laughs> least, brainwash them first and then do the reveal. Yeah, something. There's, yeah. There's, some, there's something psychological there with Mystique. So obviously that caused a little bit of panic with Warren. Apocalypse then enters the scene, mentions how loyalty is rewarded and everybody else becomes slaves. An interesting motivation. Your reward for being loyal is that I won't make you an indentured servant, or not even just a just a slave. Yeah, straight up. Yeah, it's, it's mind controlled slave. Yeah, it 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 still kind of seems like they're a slave, but okay. And obviously, Warren starts to cry out in pain. And Apocalypse, being Apocalypse, goes very biblical and, and says the phrase, "The cries of a future being born." And it's like. Yeah, that's the apocalypse I like is is he is he is so up his own ass as a character. I kind of respect it. Yeah, this is where those Shakespearean actors. And I, I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but the, a lot of the voice actors are like Shakespearean theater actors and from Canada. So he's this is one of the characters where it like really, really works well because he's would be thousands of years old at this point. Yeah, I don't think we actually touched on that. Maybe we do a quick diversion right there. So unlike a lot of cartoons that were using American voice actors, they did this up in Canada. And because of like this, what was it? The Voice Actors Guild or whatever? It's usually politics. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever, whatever it was, they ended up needing to be Canadian actors for financial reasons. They It ended up being cheaper for Saban, which as we know, tends to be a trend for, for that company. But of course, we got an amazing cast of, of voice actors out of it. So definitely no no shade on those people. But a lot of them were theater actors. And it still cements in like a lot of our heads from this era of these characters. Like as much as I love Oscar Isaac, like he didn't seem like the apocalypse I knew, you know, even just in dialogue. He he definitely didn't seem like apocalypse. It, he almost felt like a New Testament version of apocalypse versus the, oh. <laughs> this uh, this apocalypse is like fire and brimstone. Yeah, we're going to flood the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So with Apocalypse being the evil creep that he is, we cut over to the bar on Muir Island, which in the previous episode, we remember Pyro and Avalanche were thrown through the walls. I mean, we're in Scotland. It might as well be Ireland with the amount of brawls that seem to break out yeah, in this bar. That's on a cliff. It's a really dangerous spot to put it. <laughs> but we see two different mutants who who get into a little bit of a, of a fight with each other. We see this woman who is sitting at a table and she touches the flower and the flower wilts. And the part that just kind of made me laugh is she seems surprised that the flower died. If this is your mutant power, why should that, you yeah. know, it shouldn't shock her at this point. And I don't want to call her old, but she didn't look young. So she, she looked emaciated. Is that fair? Yeah. So it, it, it she looked old enough that this wasn't new yeah and she was she was not a 13 year old <laughs> discovering her power is what you're saying yeah and she's at a mutant bar imagine if she was 13 and looked like that though <laughs> that would I, suck you know what as far with that power i guess that could yeah could check out well that, that my, character just got way more depressing to right? me <laughs> that was my question to you too like I, I didn't recognize those two and then also fast forwarding a little bit anybody in this bar so I don't know if there was any important characters that you recognized in here. So I was going to save this till the end of the episode, oh. like when we do our random fact. Thanks, Rod. Oh, sorry. Nope, it's good. We've literally never stuck to our format ever before, <laughs> other than the rigmarole at the beginning and end. But the horsemen that we see later in the episode are these three individuals, and they have the similar appearances from when they appeared in the comics for the first time, which I have written down as being... 
X Factor number 15, which is where the group debuted for the first time. My question was, before they were the, the horsemen, were they other characters? They were not significant characters other than the ones who would become the horsemen. Okay, yeah. I think that was the thing I was curious about. No, the the only one who had any significance is Warren, because as, as we mentioned in the previous episode, Warren was also known as Angel, and it was one of the original five X-Men, but the rest of them were were introduced to become the horsemen. And then the the rest of them besides the three, I actually took a screenshot because yeah. this looks- Let me, this let me kinda, look at the picture. This kind of like has like a Morlock vibe to me. Yeah. And then there's this random guy with like a purple headpiece and green hair with like a cannon for an arm or something. Stands out. <laughs> yeah. What's funny is one of the two who's in the brawl looks a lot like a female version of Ape from the Morlocks. That okay. one right there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, why, that's why I've had to vi- go like- Visually it does look like like Ape, but the I don't know who the, the purple- <laughs> like literally looks more like a He-Man character than anything yeah. else. So these were just like green suit guy's family. Yeah, those are those are relatives <laughs> of the green suit guy from the introduction. I would, I think that's a totally fair guess. Because there's also one person here who has his like gray skin and blue hair. And yep. if you blink and you miss it, you back think in the nineties, you, you might think it's Colossus. But yeah. I think I, I don't have a memory of this, but I could imagine young Rod watching this and be like, "Oh, Colossus was the bar," because we couldn't rewatch it. <laughs> yes, we, you blinked and you there was there wasn't you, there was no way to rewind or anything like that. Anyways, we have Mutant Bar full of randos. Right. And in the Mutant Bar full of randos, we see the members of the X-Men who, you know, had their moments with Rogue and Rogue is apologizing and kind of asking for forgiveness because, you know, had she given up her mutant powers, then, you know, Jean might have been killed in that last episode if Rogue wasn't there to save her. Also, she's the reason they're all out there. Yeah. (laughs) So we're in Scotland. Let's get a drink while we're here. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be in Scotland, you need to get drinks. So I used to escape to Scotland when I needed to clear my head. And that is true. At that time, I didn't even drink, but I did in Scotland. There was nothing else to do. Well, not nothing else. But socially, it's the funnest thing to do with Scottish people. Speaking of fun things to do in a bar with Scottish people, <laughs> Warren enters the bar and is proclaiming that he is he's cured. The big thing that is noticeably different about Warren, no wings. Yeah. Yeah. And is praising Adler. And then what did we both write down, Rod? Cyclops is still being an asshole. Yeah. Uh, I wrote the nicer <laughs> version, which is Cyclops fights people again. It's just his instinct. It's, it's interesting that that's part of his character. <laughs> It's just really, really interesting for me when you look at Cyclops because he's like, you know, there was the talk of everybody needs to make their own decisions and such. But here, this person made their own decision and Cyclops is like, no, no, this was the wrong decision. It's like, which one is it, dude? Come on. I'm starting to figure out Cyclops' political leanings. Oh, don't, don't, don't. Can we just agree that he's a dick and stop there? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. So we cut back over to the lab. We realize that it was Mystique who was impersonating Warren, and that reveals Archangel. And what are what are your thoughts on, on Archangel? I was introduced to Archangel, I think, through like the toys. So I remember him as the blue, the one we see now, Archangel. Because yep. technically before he was this, he was just Angel. Correct. I knew Archangel first, so when they introduced Warren, to me, this was a cool origin story for me. I guess that was the purpose of it. Yeah. And also that Apocalypse has a thing for, is it part of that make the creator making things in his likeness or whatever? Because he went from like normal looking human dude to like blue purplish thing like Apocalypse. So I just want to let people know when Rod and I have these discussions, these are live. The only <laughs> thing we do is we make sure we we know all the points of what happens in the episode, but our feelings are not shared. <laughs> so when Rod asks me questions like this and there is that awkward pause of silence like that, that is me genuinely reacting to what did Rod just ask me? 
so from my knowledge of of the comics Warren was a victim of the Mutant Massacre, which is an attack from the Marauders on the Morlocks, and it, his wings get completely like decimated. And that's what leads him to take the treatment that turns him into Archangel in the comics. As far as the blue, it is, it has happened more than once, but it is not universal. Gotcha. Because... In the in the comics, at one point, Gambit actually becomes one of the horsemen. I don't remember which one, but I distinctly remember there is a color shift in in Gambit's facial. I think he went to like a a very light lavender or something like that. But like at one point, Wolverine is a is an a horseman of Apocalypse. Like in the comics, a lot of people have been horsemen. Yeah, and I believe that at one point the Incredible Hulk was was actually one of them. It is not specifically mutants. It is more along the lines of survival of the fittest. Only the strong survive for Apocalypse. Maybe the one who's his favorite gets the color change. <laughs> I guess it's like supposed to show the sign of him losing his humanity as he loses his flesh tone or whatever. Yeah, and I think also with somebody who would look, especially by the 80s and 90s perspective of conventionally handsome. Like mm. he very much looked like Prince Adam from He-Man. Yes. White guy, blonde locks, stuff like that, mm. comes from a rich family. So what is the most visually opposite aesthetic you could jump towards? Yeah, And Apocalypse gave him a really cool jumpsuit. Did give him a cool jumpsuit. <laughs> to match his metal wings. They are metal wings, I, yeah. I think I, I, you get through context clues that they're not feathers anymore. They are not feathers anymore. <laughs> One important change for the show compared to the comics, in the show, they are effectively explosive feathers, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. I just made air quotes on a fucking podcast and I don't know why. <laughs> Shut up, Rod. It's all right. I almost did it too when we said Adler. I was like, Adler, air quotes. They explode. But in the comics, they have neurotoxins in them. Uh, that would make more sense. Right. But I, it's probably something that is just easier from a visual perspective we explosions are explosions yeah and we already have pestilence yeah we already got pestilence so we're, we're tracking the powers like so we, we have a list now leech has telekinesis domino has wind powers and domino having wind powers still <laughs> bothers me the most out of every one of these offenses and archangel has explosive metal feathers i'm okay with the explosive metal feathers <laughs> like I, I get it. I'm just Leech, Leech having the telekinesis is still just a sin. I'm, I'm just adding up the retcons. I can't <laughs> wait till we have Eric Leewald on and he just rips me apart for, for me criticizing that. But speaking of pestilence, we see that the two people who were fighting in the bar, as well as the assumed older woman, all get transformed as well. And they become the horsemen of the apocalypse. You have famine, pestilence, and war based off the biblical side of stuff. Oh, there was also a reference from Apocalypse, fire and blood. Like he's really hitting yeah. Book of Revelations hardcore. And he actually says the four horsemen. Yeah. But only three of them get horses. Yes. And I know one of them has wings. That's why. But he said the four horsemen. <laughs> Look at Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, and Ole Anderson. Not one of them has a horse there rod, and they are the four horsemen. And also war kind of looks like Oliver Tree. Are you familiar with him? No. If, if, you're, if you're listening and you're not familiar, look up the rapper Oliver Tree. I was going to say that this guy looks dumb, but apparently he was way ahead of his time. <laughs> he has the aesthetic of a rapper from 2022. Yep. So they get their, their robot horses and then Apocalypse declares death the winged angel. He says that they are going to build a better world. I guess by destroying everything. <laughs> there's, there's times when you, you you look back at biblical stories, you're like, you know what? The flood made sense now. Mm. 
We could use one of those. Let's just reset. Let's start over. Yeah. Every 40 years, there's a reset point. <laughs> the next comment I have is Gambit is creeping. Yeah, we get back to the mansion. They're just kind of like playing pool, I think. Yeah. It was interesting to me that we went back to the mansion because they're just going to fly back overseas again. Yeah. Anyway. They but got too comfortable. Aside from that. And Gambit is creeping and he makes a comment along the lines of, you can drain my energy anytime to Rogue. And I was like, wow, that is um, that is an entendre, sir. Yeah. He even follows it up. Gambit has plenty of energy. Yep. <laughs> and then he like lights up the, the pool cue. Yeah. Yep. It was like. Everything, the phallic symbols, the double entendre. <laughs> and then we get the storm quote of the episode, which this time was an intentional joke. I thought that was interesting. It was like, that was a fun thing. He suddenly, Storm says, the term rec room does not mean that you must wreck it. <laughs> and Gambit gives the comment of like, oh, great. Storm's making jokes now. <laughs> now I half watch the episodes and I think, which storm quote is Ra going to lock into? Right. <laughs> I actually... I, after the first few, I just stopped looking for him because I was like, I'm just picking at weird writing or something. You're not, though. And <laughs> You're not. It's Now, I, from a meta perspective, I am sure it's, it is. there is at least a partial intention to it. Yeah. And I, I do love Gambit calling that because he's like, hey, look at this. Yeah. So then we, we see a shot of France on TV, I believe. And there are comments being made about refusing to disarm because of the mutant threat in France. There are lots of gargoyles. Yeah. As, as you as you see in France. Real quick before yeah, we get please. to this part. So I, I wrote down the name of this convention that they're at. Yes. It's called the Conventional Weapons Disarmament Talk. I want to know from somebody on the internet if that was a real thing or is in reference to something. Because that's a very specifically weird. <laughs> like, conventional weapons are like what the advanced disarm like weapons is another convention. This thing that's I love how you're like, I would love the internet to let me know when you have the ability to Google and just refused to do it. Oh yeah, no, put, the, put the burden on the listener. That's what listeners love, burdens. Oh yeah. And it's funny because they, they're at this thing that's about conventional weapons. They're like, we've got nothing to worry about. We've got the conventional weapons here. What could go wrong? <laughs> and then a gargoyle transforms into apocalypse. So has that always been apocalypse's power? I did not know that. Apocalypse, as a character, has lots of unconventional powers. Okay. Thus why he's perfect to attack the conventional weapons disarmament <laughs> conference. The DC, I don't know. I was trying to come up with what the acronym was, oh, yeah. and I just completely failed on it. But he he tends to have lots of different powers, and that is a part of what makes him so dangerous, is like control over like the atoms in his body and stuff like that. So maybe he didn't transform into realistic gargoyles, but like growing and shrinking energy power stuff like that turning his arm from a fist into like a battering ram like that was actually very on par for apocalypse as a yeah. character okay yeah. that makes sense i remember him changing sizes yep so i guess the gargoyle thing is just like a slight embellishment of that yeah and here's the thing he's been around for so long i'm sure some weird shit went down <laughs> in like the 80s and 90s comics like he he definitely oh, turned into... I yeah. thought you were going to say because Apocalypse went through some weird shit during the 80s. He's like, oh, he had this whole stage where he was at clubs every night with groupies and then he learned some stuff. I mean, he might have. <laughs> he If he could transform into somebody that looks like a, a regular human, then why not? So I want to see that comic series of like Apocalypse going through the disco era. Like disco Apocalypse. So, I mean, Apocalypse <laughs> as a character was around since the time of the pharaohs in Egypt. Yeah. So if he wanted to, he could have... Yeah, I, I want to see. I want to see Apocalypse doing lines of coke at Studio Fifty Four. Is exactly. what I want to say. 
Yeah, like 60s, 70s, 80s apocalypse. I want to see what he was doing then. If we actually have fans who can do <laughs> fan art, I, which I know is already a leap because that's assuming we have fans, yeah. I want to see that drawing of Apocalypse doing coke at Studio 54. There you go. So Apocalypse becomes gigantic, starts attacking Paris. One note that I had, the tanks get to the middle of Paris really, really quickly. I guess, are they considered conventional? Weapons. I feel like if you're going to disarm the conventional weapons, you don't do it at the convention about the disarmament of the conventional right. weapons. Say that five times fast. <laughs> but there are also tanks everywhere in this universe. Yeah, there are lots of tanks in this universe. <laughs> War and Archangel show up and they start messing up the, the troops. And Archangel throws a helicopter into the Eiffel Tower. I underlined it and put an exclamation point because it was like, that wasn't just a random building. It was literally yeah. the Eiffel Tower that got whacked. And they just kind of gloss over they're like well now over here like okay <laughs> yep then we have pestilence who gives a disease to the reporter which we've all felt right yeah you know <laughs> and then it, it cuts back to the mansion and professor x gives his little speech of you know it's it's what he's always feared it is a mutant who has been driven mad by his powers which means that there's no future for anyone and i thought it was interesting that Professor X, and I know, don't edit this part out, I know I say it's interesting a lot, but this time I actually mean it. Professor X makes some assumptions here that it's the powers that drove Apocalypse Matt. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And it's... Because it does seem on purpose because the whole thing is televised. There's a shot during the fight where the camera drops at Apocalypse's feet and then it zooms into the war room and you kind of realize, oh, the whole world is watching this go down. Yeah. Like Blair Witch style. Yep. So it, it, you start to see, yeah, you start seeing Professor X kind of like just lose hope. Yeah. I just find it really shocking that Professor X jumps to the conclusion that it is a driven mad scenario. This isn't like the first episode where you see Sabretooth acting like a feral animal and there's a fight with cops. To your point, this is very intentional that he did this at something that was going to receive massive coverage and for the world to see it because he wanted to debut him and his horsemen in the biggest way possible. And a disarmament conference by bringing weaponry, whether it's living non-conventional weapons, to your point, is kind of the perfect way to do that. Yeah, bring those robot horses, show them what's up. Yeah. So from that, they, the X-Men come up with their plan. Rogue is going to go back to Muir Island because she recognized Warren. Yeah. Warren. And they just leave Jubilee behind. <laughs> this becomes a theme just foreshadowing yeah we get a little bit of a weird like jump around of where the counters and stuff are happening you see the base which is at stonehenge which mm -hmm. is in england and granted i know that it's only a short flight from england to paris but then you cut to famine who is in france making the farmers starve. I don't know why it needed to be Stonehenge and France. Like, I felt like they were just like, what are cool looking locations? Yeah, and just hitting all the places because you made a point that they're in Scotland, New York, Paris, England. Yep. And yeah, I, I have a note that the there's a montage of the horsemen terrorizing the world, but in their respective brands. It's very, <laughs> yep. very, where very on brand for them. War utilizes weapons of war and throws them back at people. Archangel just destroys a dam. <laughs> it's a rich guy, right? Yeah, yeah. And we get back to Muir Island. Rogue is there confronting Adler. I love that Rogue just goes straight up bad cop. Yeah. Not even like trying to investigate and figure out like, you know, how how did you do this? What did it happen? It's like, oh, I'm going to strap you to the table that will probably kill you. And I'm willing to throw the lever. And meanwhile, Mystique is like a little overconfident and just kind of like half changing 
It's stuff she's just teasing and she's like, oh, she'll never find me out. <laughs> yep. And then when she gets strapped to the table, Mystique reveals herself and then proceeds to reveal Apocalypse's entire plan where the, the machine makes them hate everyone, both human and mutant. So it kind of goes a little bit against the Magneto MO because Magneto's whole MO is mutants, you know, gaining their proper place in society, whereas Apocalypse is very much just let's set the world on fire and the strong can be the ones to rebuild it. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that because it's like, well, you know, that's one way yeah. to, 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 to do it. And Mystique kind of tries to make Rogue feel a little sympathetic for her saying that she has no choice but to do this. And you kind of start to believe her. Yep, Rogue starts to believe her after Mystique is sure to say Apocalypse is at Stonehenge in England. Did that sound like an ADR, like an additional voiceover later? The way that they said in England? I was not paying attention for the ADR. That might have entirely been possible. I think that was one of those, hey, kids are watching this. They might not know where Stonehenge is. That, maybe that's more of what I was getting at. Is it, it was a random kind of tag at the end. Like, they're at Stonehenge in England. I was just waiting as opposed to Stonehenge in Vegas or something. I don't know. What are you talking about? <laughs> so here's the thing. For a half second, it made me question if I knew where Stonehenge was because I was like, Wait, is Stonehenge in Ireland or Scotland? <laughs> and then I remembered in Assassin's Creed Valhalla, it's in England. So I love that, that how we know that's where it's that, That's how I know anything is where was it in an Assassin's Creed game? It's how we learn history now. <laughs> Tangent. The history stuff within the Assassin's Creed games is actually pretty dope. No, I'm serious. Yeah, I, I love the Assassin's Creed games, too. I haven't played a lot of them, but that's I, I'm like, oh, that's. Is that true? And I look it up like, oh, it's actually, yeah, okay. I'm learning a lot about European history now. Yep. So after our geography lesson for 10-year-olds and 40-year-olds, <laughs> Mystique actually shoots Rogue, which made me laugh because <laughs> I'm awful. Well, I made a note here. So Rogue let her go, and I understand it's because Mystique kind of pulled a quick one on her. But again, I asked this in another episode, what is up with the X-Men just continuously like letting people go after I they don't do know. terrible things? They don't have a prison system, okay? <laughs> so Mystique escapes, and the machine is destroyed during the escape. Actually destroyed. This yeah, time. yeah. Destroyed again. <laughs> so then we, we cut to a fight, which... I got the vibe was in England based on the buses because it was a double-decker bus in the fight. Okay, yeah. I was wondering where that was because that was the only one that they didn't have Mystique pop in and tell them where they were. Yeah, where you see Cyclops, Storm, Wolverine, Jean, and Gambit. They blind Pestilence with fog. Mm -hmm. Cyclops shoots Pestilence out of the sky. And we get a pun in the episode from Cyclops. <laughs> and it's about her not plaguing humanity again. Cyclops is a fun guy now, right? Yeah, apparently he's fun. <laughs> and then Wolverine fights with war, stabs the mechanical horse in the side, gets pulled off the ground, and then he makes a pun about getting carried away. And I started audibly groaning <laughs> because Rod knows I hate puns and anything to do with them. Yeah, I don't like puns either. I actually missed it initially until John mentioned it. And I just, I, I love how we're, we're I, this is probably not on purpose, but I love that. I'm kind of seeing the the bromance between Wolverine and Cyclops start. They're like, they're fun guys now. They're not just tough, violent, yeah. macho guys. <laughs> I hate it so much. <laughs> Gambit saves Wolverine. War is is damaged and, and snags Pestilence. They run away. The X-Men follow. Where we cut to Rogue, who is at Stonehenge first. And she fights Apocalypse, which one-on-one, -on -one, 
Rogue should not be winning that, and she does not. <laughs> Ballsy, yeah. Yeah. I think that to, to this point, though, Rogue does not have a concept of how strong Apocalypse actually is. And, and to an extent, I don't think we've gotten really a full indication of how strong he is. You see some of that matter control where he basically decorporealizes and she dives right through him and just smashes herself into Stonehenge. Yeah, for a second, I actually wondered, like, oh, is this just a, a diversion? Is it a hologram? Nope. He's showing off his powers. Nope, he just does that. Something that fight did give us, though, was the the booty meme from Rogue. It's a little bit of a creepy meme, but good yeah, point I was, to the Yeah, I'm happy I don't know this one, Rod. Well, so <laughs> Rod, I, please explain <laughs> the creepy booty meme about Rogue. Well, so there's this meme because there's a shot where Rogue falls over and like Apocalypse knocks her down, and the animators drew a very juicy and voluptuous Rogue from the backside. And the meme is they just don't draw cartoons like they used to, and then the thing says how they used to draw cartoons. It was like, you got a point. Why are we pointing this out? <laughs> So that's why it was so popular with 10-year-old boys. <laughs> Maybe that's it. That's, there's no subliminal message. No, none whatsoever. Straight selling. Yep. The horsemen start to return. They admit that they are, are defeated and, and are essentially saying they're not worthy of apocalypse at that point. The X-Men emerge. I believe it's revealed with Cyclops shooting from off camera. So they yeah. landed and got off that jet real quick. I, I just assume everybody teleports. Now. Yeah, everybody e just teleports. Even when they don't have teleportation powers because that travel time doesn't make sense to me. Nope. <laughs> so the fight starts up. Rogue goes after Archangel. And I thought it was really interesting. She not only takes her gloves off, she also loses the jacket. And it's one Why of the not? few times where you see Rogue in costume, but without the jacket. Mm. Like that just was a, it was it was a cool visual because it, it kind of felt like, oh, shit's getting real. I yeah. don't want to rip my jacket in this fight kind yeah. of thing. Oh, she's like, it's getting hot, man. Yeah, she was like, <laughs> she's getting smashed through walls by sentinels and leaving body-shaped indents and floors. Archangel, no, no, hold my jacket. <laughs> so she goes, she grabs him and she absorbs some of his power. When she does that, it actually like turns her skin blue. And that's kind of the moment where we find out a little bit further down in the episode that she basically pulled some of the evil out of Warren. And he goes, he actually says that. We'll that get back a, to that in a second. That's but, a dark, dark implication. Yeah. You know, Apocalypse sees that his horsemen are falling, basically says they're not worthy and kind of gives the 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 classic supervillain, you know, you're only delaying the inevitable and has a trap door on Stonehenge. What would a cartoon supervillain be without trap doors? Wolverine. Just Wolverine shouldn't dive at anybody. Between him and Sabretooth, they just aren't good at it. Yeah, they have a few they head just, injuries. Yeah, they just keep giving themselves <laughs> concussions at this point. <laughs> yeah, the horsemen start to escape. Apocalypse takes off with his ship, destroying Stonehenge completely in the process. So we've had two monuments of one of the classic world and one of the modern world both destroyed in this episode between this and the Eiffel Tower. Dark timeline. It's a very dark timeline. And then it ends with Rogue and, and Archangel having a little bit of a moment. That's where it's revealed that she took some of the evil out of him. And Archangel says that he hopes that she can handle it better than he could. Yeah, because she says that she took it permanently, or at least implies it. And A, how? Like, that's a level of control, I guess, she has over her powers. So we will get more of that in a future episode when they reveal how Rogue's power set evolved into what it is. And okay. I will end it at that. But if you if you look at what Rogue was with her mutant power developing as the kiss, when she drained her, her boyfriend's essence, that isn't why she's able to fly and be super strong. Yes. So. I do know that story. Foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
having Rogue absorb someone's evil permanently and have it live in her, and you have to assume that's not the very first time. Nope. Or even if it is, it's not going to be the last time. That is wild. That It gives that so much more, like, cred to that woman for just functioning. I mean, everybody has, you know, some darkness. That it, That is, is just wild. And it, I don't remember if in the future we see more of it. If we do, I'm looking forward to it. If if not, then like that just kind of leaves so much to the imagination, like what's living in her head. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that it's interesting about Rogue is you realize that when she's absorbing somebody, it is not literally just taking power, it is taking essence. And whether you want to call that a soul or or whatever, she's absorbing more than just what they are. She's partially absorbing who they are. So I guess maybe that's also why she really doesn't want to kiss Gambit. <laughs> She's like, I don't want to be in I this. don't want to be like you. <laughs> Which fair. Yeah. You know, something this episode reminded me of, and maybe it was accumulation of the episodes leading up to this, of one of the million ways that the X-Men movies failed is how central of a character Rogue was, at least in the animated series, and how little she had to do with the movies. But she could have. Like, Well, the funny thing is, if you look at the perspective of the first movie, the first X-Men movie, she's the set of eyes that we're experiencing yeah, this team through. She's the Jubilee, Kitty Pride. Yeah, and she, over time, got deprioritized. And then, he, what is it, in the alternate cut of Days of Future Past, the, it is, there is a rogue, rogue cut, cut yeah. which I have not seen because I, just, I'm, <laughs> I don't know, we'll probably do it as a, a bonus episode of this series at Days some point. Days of Future Past is the most tolerable X-Men movie to me because it undoes all the terrible ones before it. Mm, fair. But then they like immediately screwed it up again right after that. Yeah, that part doesn't help it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually had seen an interview with the producer, director of that movie, and they talked about the road cut, and they acknowledged that they actually liked her storyline in the road cut. Yeah. But that it was inconsequential to the, to the overall story, and they could remove it without affecting anything else in the story, and it was already too long. But does that make it a good story if it doesn't affect the story? Mm, <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't write scripts, but... That doesn't make sense to me. Let's talk about that in our next episode, which is literally going to be covering Days of Future Past. There we go. Boom. How's that? Nailed it. (laughs) Good work. We're professionals. That is a hell of an outro. Do you have anything else you would like to add about this episode, Rod? No, this was a fun one to me. I can't say any specific reason why, but it just felt... Of all the things that I love about the X-Men animated series, there's a lot of it was in this episode. You love blue characters with purple magenta highlights on their costumes, I think. Yeah, that and randomly skipping countries. Random country <laughs> hopping, no doubt. And destroying monuments. Oh, yeah, fuck monuments. <laughs> all right, well, thank you for joining us. If you have any thoughts, make sure to drop them into the comments for either the YouTube upload or the official Instagram post on this episode, and maybe we'll read them in future episodes. That'll be a thing, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, people type stuff, we'll read stuff. If you liked what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on the podcast app of your choosing. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, CastBox, and I don't know, wherever else this stuff gets fed to. And I looked at the statistics. So you're probably listening to this on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, there's a lot of you who are listening on Apple Podcasts versus any of the others. And if the stats are right, 
it also says that it's a hundred percent chance that you're a male between 35 and 44. So, hey, what's up, bros? <laughs> yeah, I I think that is only coming from the Spotify listeners. Okay. And they're extrapolating, and I know that's not accurate. Okay. I'm pretty sure you make a Apple Podcast account without identifying your gender. Yeah, I'm. I, I don't remember. So I, I, have don't, Apple I don't know how they would showcase that. I looked at that. I was like, that looks too confident. In that, in that, a hundred percent male rating. I mean, granted, I don't think we're gonna we're we're getting a lot of female listeners, but yeah. we are getting at least one. Okay, and that's the goal. Yep, I have no better way to end the episode than saying yes. We have at least one female listener. What's up? He gave a thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs>